Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you. Not such a happy one, not the one we were looking to celebrate this Monday morning. However, we'll get on with it and we'll analyse and uh, trying to work out why and what happened over the course of the weekend as we talk to people like Gary Stead, hopefully very shortly. Maybe to Simon Dool, who was uh, calling the shots, hoping to call a New Zealand victory, but uh, clearly not able to do so. Grant Nisbet uh, sat back and watched at the weekend while uh, Ireland dismantled the All Blacks, to be fair. What uh, is the story on that? Jamie Wall and Glenn Lama with uh, some interesting comments uh, from the panel uh, in terms of what happened uh, over the weekend, what they saw. Louis Herman Watt and Paul Mawati, as usual, just before uh, 11 o'clock. And after that, we'll be speaking to... Andrew Voss in his normal slot uh, on rugby league movements, and there are plenty at the moment uh, with that trade window being opened. And uh, Jared Watley, we promised we'd talk to him again on Monday. Win, lose or draw, well, we'll be talking to him about a New Zealand loss. But that are the facts. Australia, simply too good, you feel. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, it was a sporting weekend to dream about, but it's developed into somewhat somewhat of a nightmare. I think it's brutally fair to say somehow can we wind the clock back? Is it possible? The Irish, the French and the Aussies have taken turns at breaking us down quite systematically bit by bit. Kane Williamson is a batting genius, a master at his trade. No matter the importance, no matter the stage, he just gets it done. He just gets it completely. He made Australia break a T20 World Cup record. He set a very high bar. The margin looks tight on paper, but in essence, this was a cakewalk a long way out. Warner and Marsh today, but their power runs deeper than most. Another lesson for little brother to take on board. Painful, but true. For the Black Caps, this was a fine campaign. The strategies were good, the execution accurate to a point. In a competitive field, there is no no shame at all in collecting the silver. But uh, they won't feel like that at the moment, I'm sure, within the camp. For the Black Ferns, a realisation that they are not a distant second. They are actually a distant third. Forget the flair, that's natural. But it's the oomph they lack. And where can they find that in the next 12 months? It's kind of baffling. The All Blacks are a great side. Time and time again, they prove that. But they will never have, because it's inherent, the raw passion that the Irish possess. On the field and off it, it's so visible. For decades, they were just lacking the belief. No more. They can get us at home. Look in the stands, honestly, do you ever see that feeling, that passion, at Eden Park or wherever? Very, very rarely. Does God defend New Zealand in any version match Ireland's call? It's not quite the same shoulder to shoulder. This is somewhat of a sulky sermon. Three knockout blows too many. There's a slightly angry side to it. What is wrong with the officiating of rugby? Why do the rule makers or the rule enforcers 
not have the same love for the game as the investors. Not only do they not appear to want it being played well, it seems they want it played more on the big screen without any rhythm or flow. They are indeed a funny little breed. It's 9.06 here on SENZ. Well, we hope for better news collectively over the weekend, uh, but we weren't able to get it. Uh, and this morning we had to suffer an, another pill, another Australian pill really, and a uh, man who will be feeling it as much as uh, any of us, probably more actually at the moment, as uh, Black Caps coach uh, Gary Stead. Uh, Steady, thanks very much for giving us some time. I, I know it's pretty late over there and you're probably not in the mood. Hopefully, yeah, we can hear Gary Stead at some point. At this point, we had him on the line moments ago. But uh, just uh, just looking uh, technically to get him linked up again, folks. It's a long way to Dubai. So hopefully uh, we can arrange that very shortly. He was certainly sitting there. Uh, we're going to try calling him back. Uh, something happened there. So that would be my question anyway. Uh, it's good of him to join us. But we just, we just for me anyway... We just lacked that colour punch. We, we we did well in, in two areas. We always field well, there's no doubt about that. We were okay there. No, we just didn't quite seem to have uh, the punch. So uh, uh, just seeing if Gary Stead is here. Can you hear us, Gary? Uh, it seems to be a, a very, very bad line at the moment. So uh, we'll see if we can address that. It's uh, sometime uh, in the very near future because uh, he's the key man. It'd be great to get his thoughts on, on what happened. In the meantime, hey Smithy, great to see the real Bay. Tasman through to another final. Cheers, Chris. Fins up. Yeah, that's true, Chris. You can boast this morning because you did outplay Hawks Bay. They nearly got out of it, but they didn't deserve to, to be fair. Uh, loose trio not working as a team. How many loose forward combinations are we using this season? So there's a lot of rugby feeling, a lot of rugby feeling. Uh, this game was lost in the first 10 overs, says uh, Jordan, by New Zealand only scoring 57. They were a minimum of 20 runs short. Josh Hazelwood's IPL contract is w worth more than all of New Zealanders' contracts in the IPL. I think you probably mean uh, come Pat Cummins there, but uh, we'll try Gary Stead once more. Uh, Steady, good morning to you. Yeah, good day, Steady. How are you doing? Oh, yeah, good to hear from you, mate. Um, I know there's a bit of a delay here, mate. Uh, not the result we wanted um, collectively uh, from here and afar, but uh, where did, where did, uh, what did you put it down to? Was it, was it their brilliance or we, we just perhaps um, didn't get enough? Oh, I thought at half halfway stage that we were in with a pretty good chance. and um, Yeah, we just didn't quite execute as well as what we would have liked with the ball and, and they've had a couple of special innings. Mitchell Marsh and, and David Warner both played, I think, probably as well as what Kane played for us. And uh, it was probably the difference in the game. Yeah, you could look at a few more runs, but then you score 170 most of the time. I expect that we're in with a chance of defending that as well. Yeah, well, it was, as, as you say, it was a, a record run chase. It was a record first up score that we set in a T20 World Cup final. Uh, and slowish conditions uh, again, but uh, let's, let's just talk about your captain. Um, in that, that innings, uh, 
I think, one of his very best in terms of uh, what he achieved on that surface against that attack. Absolutely. Um, I sat there and, and watched him with awe in some ways. Uh, the, the innings, I mean, it took him a while to get going, probably 10 or so balls, and I think he was only on four or five, and then to, to just play the way he did and destroy and guys like Mitchell Stark, who, who uh, have got pretty good T20 records around the world, um, watching him do that was pretty special to, to, to be here and, and see it. But, um, yeah, I feel sorry for Kane. I mean, I, I thought he, he, uh, he kept the team really well throughout the tournament. And Mate, just have uh, lost Gary Stead again. It's um, very frustrating for you at home listening. It's uh, even more so for us, I can promise you, trying to uh, get the flow into the interview. So uh, I'm not quite sure what we'll do, John, whether we'll take another break or persevere or um, I'll leave it into your, your hands at this point. Um, yeah, we just uh, didn't so quite yeah. execute as well as what we would have liked with the ball and, and they've had a couple of special innings. Richard Marsh and David Warner both played. I mean, probably as well as what Kane played for us. And uh, it was probably the difference in the game. Yeah, you could look at a few more runs, but then you score 170 most of the time. I expect that we're in with a chance of defending that as well. Yeah, that was uh, Gary said uh, his comments before. I think that was, um, that had been... Yeah, are you there, Gary? No, afraid, afraid. Yeah, no, John. Uh, you know, we'll talk off here about that. Um, anyway, the refs have been getting uh, up New Zealand's rugby teams for a few years now. Seems World Rugby uh, want to bring us down a few pegs. To me, lots of decisions over the years from them. BS decisions, said Hugh. Well, bit frustrating, isn't it? Um, even frustrating there. So I apologise for that. We just tried to get a line through to Gary. It's not very often you can talk to the head coach straight after uh, a loss or a performance like that, but. In essence, he was, what he was saying there <clears throat> is that he thought they had enough runs, and at the break, so did I. But we needed to bowl well. We needed to bowl, and we needed to strike early. And uh, in effect, we did. We got rid of Finch, but he was never going to be the real threat, was he? David Warner's been a thorn in our side for so long that he just comes up with the goods against us. And Marsh is so powerful. I've seen him do that before. Uh, I commentated a game in Canberra where he absolutely dismantled, dismantled Matt Henry one day, and that was really, really punishing. And again, last night, it's just uh, the first ball he faced hits over backwards square for six. I mean, that is just so powerful. Really, really powerful and instinctive. Instinctive. It is 9.13 here on SENZ. Um, I've been told we're going to try and take an ad here, ad break, and try and get Gary Stead back. But I think uh, that might be a bit tough. Right, SCNZ, uh, and it's uh, 9.18 here and uh, on a Monday morning. Not the Monday morning we wanted, but... Uh, we're having a few technical issues. We're giving it another go. So hopefully we've got uh, our Black Caps coach Gary Stead with us again. Steady, I, I hope you're there. Yeah, back again, Smithy. Good on you, mate. Okay, let's. Uh, you mentioned you at the halfway point. You're pretty happy. And I, I was too. I think everyone was pretty happy that you'd set them uh, that kind of target. But we needed a strike, and we needed to get those those key players early. You got Finch. Uh, but Warners, they are those kind of players that when they're hot, it's pretty hard to stop them. Yeah, and they just kept coming out as well. I mean, you had Warner who was who was hot, and then you had uh, Mitchell Marsh came out and hit the first ball for six out of the park, and 
you got Max Warren behind it, and then they still had the likes of Steve Smith and Stoinis and, and Matthew Wade to come. So that's how they play. That sometimes, I mean, those tactics can be a little bit rocks and diamonds. Tonight they were diamonds for Aussie, and, and unfortunately for us, we just couldn't quite get those breakthroughs. But there's just a little bit of juice settled as well that made the ball just skid on a little bit more than, than what we'd hoped for. Okay, so you tried up front. I mean, at key wickets earlier, as I said, you got Finch, but uh, in the middle order, when you, you you got your spinners, they couldn't. Were they hit off their rhythm? They didn't look as if they either of them really settled. Yeah, I thought um, I thought Sat uh, Mitchell Satner actually went past the bat probably four or five times just when he bowled that slightly wider line, but. Yeah, they yeah Mitchell Marsh. I mean, when he's in that sort of form, and, and Warner is the left-hander, they they I guess they probably targeted the, the spinners a little bit, and they put us under pressure. And we just we just needed another only another wicket or two could have just changed the game so much. You know what it's like when you you get a little bit of that, you've got runs on the board, you get a bit of scoreboard pressure as well. But unfortunately, the Aussie were just always that sort of I guess felt like they were ten runs ahead of the game the whole time. Overall, uh, Gary, how do you look at the campaign? I mean, you know, to get through to the final, to miss out at the last hurdle, disappointing. But overall, I mean, that's still, I would mark that down as a serious pass mark. Yeah, I, I was just counting through before. We've got 16 players here and seven guys are here for their first ICT tournament ever. So when you look at it that way, we're still a relatively inexperienced team, Um when you when it, when you come to world events, so from that perspective, I think those guys will, would have learned a lot, and hopefully they can then put those learnings into action now when we when we play again in the future. Um, I agree with you, Smitty. I think if we if we're too harsh and only think about winning, then then when I arrived here, everyone was talking about the final being England and, and India, and neither of those two two teams made it. So I, I think for us to get there was a huge achievement in itself. Of course, we want to get across the line, but um, we're still learning and we're still developing as a team. The loss of um, Devin Conway, a lot of people saying that you know that was a contributing factor. Uh, certainly didn't help. Uh, how's Devin of, <laughs> about the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, Devin's been... I mean, he's been a bit sorry for himself, to be honest. He's been remorseful about what happened, and it was a... I guess just one of those genuine accidents that happened. He, he hit his hit his bat in, in frustration, and unfortunately did more damage than uh, than what what he wanted to. I, I actually saw David Warner do it tonight, but uh, he, he he did it out of more out of pure joy, I think, from hitting it to six. But he didn't break his hand, unfortunately, uh, for us in, in the game. Yeah, that's the thing. Other pluses. Uh, I mean, when he played, Conway was very good, of course. Um, other pluses, I, I would imagine you'd... I, I thought Phillips played pretty well and Mitchell clearly uh, was one of the standouts too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we gave Daryl that opportunity at the top and he certainly took it with both hands. And I mean, I, I think when you look through the whole squad, everyone had contributions at, at different times and I think when you're in a, in a fast tournament like this, you need that. You can't just rely on one person and especially in T20 cricket, uh, we're, we're thinking, what, you only need one person to be hot on the day and, and that can change the game. But, yeah, we yeah, we, we just weren't quite good enough tonight, which was unfortunate. If you uh, you'd look about um, the, the next T20 World Cup, it's, uh, it's not that far away, mate, um, to be fair. I would imagine 
if not all, pretty much everyone there would be uh, available again to learn from that and, and to to be better for it, perhaps in more familiar conditions like Australia. Yeah, I think so. And I think Australian pitches are probably a little bit more akin to what we're used to and what we get in, in T20 cricket sort of pitches back in New Zealand as well. So we're certainly excited that in 12 months there's another opportunity to, to have a go at the uh, at the trophy. And, um, yeah, as I said earlier, I think the guys here will, would have learnt a lot from the, the experiences. Gary, you've got... Um some other work ahead of you now. What What is the program right now? Looking forward. Uh, we're just just about to jump on the bus and, and head back to the hotel. So it's about 12.30 at night here and we've got a uh, leaving at 10am in the morning to head to India. Uh, and then as soon as we get over there, we've got a one day before we start our next international. So three T20 games in five days and then we've only got two days before we start the test next after that. So it's certainly a I guess, pretty robust program that's in front of us, but it's exciting and, and another opportunity for us to, I guess, represent New Zealand. Let's look at the, the test series coming up. You get um, Ross Taylor and Tom Latham, Henry Nichols, etc. So uh, these this uh, have been the champions, the current champions, of course. These are significant, these tests away from home. Yeah, I mean, India are a very, very tough obviously test series to, to go and play. We don't win many test matches there. Um, so there's certainly a huge, huge, uh, I guess, hurdle in front of us. Um, we're certainly looking forward to it, though. It's our first chance to go and defend our title um, or win it again, whatever way you want to look at it. Uh, so India away is, is, is a little bit like Australia away. It's one of the, I think, great challenges that you face as a, as a cricket nation. So we're certainly looking forward to what's ahead of us there. Just, just uh, finally, Gary, a, a lot of emphasis uh, on the spin side of thing when you go to India. Of course, you've just you've really got the three new ball bowlers there. Um, is that taking a bit of a risk, or is that an indicative of what you're looking to pick? Yeah, I, I'm. I mean, traditionally, if you look there, the last few years of playing in India, then. I know, I know. If I look at India, they sometimes only play the, the one seamer and an all rounder, or maybe only two seamers. So we're, we're expecting the wickets to turn to be challenging over there. So that's why we selected the squad the way it was. OK, Gary, we'll let you get on the bus, mate. Um, I know uh, not not the celebration you wanted to have, but uh, still a very, very creditable performance and uh, you've uh, done New Zealand cricket proud again. So congratulations and please pass that on to the rest of the squad. I will do, Smithy. Thanks for the support, mate. Yeah, cheers. Gary Stead there, uh, folks. Um, we finally got him on a good line, but um, you could just sort of hear, I think, a little bit in his voice the disappointment, which is fair enough. Uh, he had high expectations a long way into that game as well, particularly uh, at the break when uh, we set them what uh, had to be uh, a record score to win a T20 final. So, um, yeah, uh, hard luck to them. They just, uh, in the end, they, they found a bigger foe, a better foe, and Australia is so strong when they get in the mood if you can get into them, get stuck into them, they can waver. But if they, um, uh, if they have any stage, uh, really feel as if they're comfortable out there and they look to dominate, that is just the nature of the beast. And when you consider that, uh, they won that with two down, with uh, plenty of time to spare, really, without too much threat. Uh, that was, uh, in the end, uh, a pill we have to swallow.
Uh, Smithy, um, the Paraparam Express says to me, in the World of One Day International Cricket Final against England, we had five players playing at or above their previous best. The Grandom, Nisham, Nichols, Williamson, Latham, Henry and Ferguson. And in the final test, we had Taylor, Jamison, Bolt, Southey, Williamson and Conway. Today, we only had two. It is just that our ODI and test teams have better quality international players. Hmm, yeah, that's an interesting point. But we did, I mean, we only just fell short at the last hurdle. That is a pretty good damn side. And, and on Friday, and uh, earliest last week, we were singing their praises after they dealt uh, very, very severely to uh, England's chances. Uh, and we were thinking they had uh, a really top, a top chance of winning that. But we always, always thought in the background, I think, uh, that we had Australia looming and we just haven't got a good record against them on the big occasion. And that was the problem for that. Um, yeah, good morning, Smithy. We, we lost the, in the first ten overs. That's right. Yeah, um, talking about uh, that start. I, I looked at that start too, but I, I, I look at the start, but then I look at Williamson being there, and, and he's so good at summing up conditions and summing up situations. And he always, because of his quality, he always knows there's more time than you think out there. And when you're a batsman, you do. And and honestly, at that point, we would have been thrilled. Even when we lost the toss and had the bat first, we'd have been thrilled to set the target that we did. They'd take that any day of the week. It's just that our bowling wasn't good enough on the night across the board, um, and, and we just couldn't defend it, and they were very, very good, and they had plenty more left in the tank as well. So we can analyse it till the cows come home, but at the end of the day, we were beaten by a side that just played better than us, and uh, that is the truth. Uh, congratulations to the Irish. Uh, this might, might take a little bit more analysis as we go through the morning. The rugby side of things, their forwards played like an all-black forward pack of old. We look great when our props and our locks are throwing the ball around like backs, but you need more than that when it comes to a battle up front. Some of uh, that comes down to leadership, as in follow me, boys, don't take a backward step. White locks seem more intent on arguing with the ref. Uh, the little little ball that we did get, Peronanata, once again was too slow moving it. Hopefully bringing Sam Kane and Aaron Smith back in will make some difference. At least we will have a bit more direction cheers steve the refs have been getting up new zealand rugby teams for a few years now um yeah hugh yeah, absolutely right lots of bs decisions um there's absolutely no doubt about that uh, ian foster coaching uh, going to keep his coaching job uh, to develop players not develop players would like to see christy under immense pressure he uh, they cracked under pressure cheers jimmy we didn't even see christy did we that was very interesting in its own right uh, that he didn't go to the bench in, in those areas uh, congratulations, Ireland. We are rudderless against strong sides, says Brian. Our tight five are being taken apart. It's a bit of a worry. Uh, yeah, hi, Smithy. You'd think that with all the money and all the flash buildings and all the modern technology in places like Dubai, they might uh, they might manage to get themselves a decent phone system. <laughs> Probably the call of the morning already, Brian. Thank you very much. 9.30 here on SENZ. a reverse sweep attempt down to the third man fence for four and Australia are the champions of the world their first victory in the ICC men's T20 World Cup beating New Zealand by eight wickets in Dubai masterclass chasing down a demanding title to get home 
oh so easily. Mitchell Marsh and Maxwell see the job home as they embrace out in the middle. They swamp each other and the celebrations begin. Well, who would have thought Australia at the start of this competition? No one had them or New Zealand anywhere near the final. However, they've gathered momentum. They've found a blueprint that has worked for them. They've gone with a better heavy team. They didn't even need that better tonight. And an unlikely hero in Mitchell Marsh, someone who has seen so many injuries throughout his career. He's been in and out in this, of this white ball team on a consistent basis. But his performance alongside David Warner and Josh Hazelwood has been nothing short of brilliant. In a high pressure situation, a game where the players feel the pressure, feel the anxiety of every moment. It has to be said that New Zealand losing the toss and scoring over 170, they would have thought that they were in with a sniff, but Australia just too good. Led by Aaron Finch. Kane Williamson was excellent for New Zealand. As a New Zealand team, they can hold their heads up high. They have played a magnificent tournament. There's players there, a lot of players that have played crucial parts in this tournament, but unfortunately for New Zealand, just couldn't get over that final hurdle once again. Yeah, look, uh, I thought the efforts that went in were outstanding and um, you know the, the guys worked hard to get to what we thought was a competitive total and um, you know unfortunately we weren't able to create many opportunities and, and get those breakthroughs and um, you know it was yeah it was a little bit frustrating um, we sort of thought on that surface that um, there'd be you know a few opportunities to do that and build some pressure and um, you know, I think we've seen the, the conditions throughout. They've been fairly consistent, and um, the ball did skid on a little bit. But Aussie were outstanding in their chase and um, very, very clinical. And, um, you know, they've had a fantastic campaign. They're a brilliant side, and, and they thoroughly deserve their win. Yeah, they are a brilliant side, man for man. Uh, too strong for us. I think they just got too many uh, experienced or weather-beaten, harder match winners than we have got, if you analyse it, than... Certainly, they proved that uh, last night or in the earlier hours of this morning, even though we managed to call a Mitchell Stark. Now, that was a bit of a worry for me that perhaps Mitchell Stark might get into our top order. Uh, but, man, did we absolutely deal to him. And uh, whilst he will be celebrating long and hard with his uh, teammates, he will know that uh, his part in the game was very, very minuscule indeed. Um, but having said that, if Josh Hazelwood had of caught uh, Kane Williamson, a relatively simple catch down on the boundary when he was on, I think, 17. Uh, who knows uh, how bad it could have been. So uh, you just go with the flow. You take the good ones and uh, and uh, wear the bad ones. Unfortunately, that was the way it shaped up for us. So, And not this time around. Um, this is one for uh, from Dean. I was listening to Australia versus England on the stairs of the law courts, waiting on the owner to turn on the TV, the Australian commentary team was saying Australia have got this wrong with seven batsmen and four bowlers. How quickly it now looks as if they were the only team with it right. Waiting for the end is what 2020 is about. I love the final. Kane was awesome, as was Bolt, but Australia showed everyone how to play hit and giggle cricket. Cricket won today. It's a party atmosphere and both teams played a huge part, but we were slow in the first 10 overs. 
We needed early wickets, three I believe, and only got Finch, who's a great captain, um, but uh, doesn't give us much with the bat. And different words, but around about the same thing. Thanks very much, uh, uh, Dean, um, you know, for your contribution there. Absolutely dead right. Um, have the question, uh, I Smithy, uh, about the the All Blacks. Have the question, uh, the All Blacks incessant kicking game. We had no ball, and when we had it, more often than not, we kicked it away. We looked like South Africa. That's from James. So, yeah, there's a lot of opinion on the sport over the weekend. I haven't heard too much about the Black Ferns as yet, but what about the pasting they got? We thought it was uh, England was so far ahead, but it appears that France are as well. So how much ground have they got to make up in the 12 months they've got before hosting the World Cup next year? Quite a lot, you would have to think. So, yeah, that's pretty much the story of the morning. It hasn't, it hasn't been that good. Um, in all honesty, we came with a bit of expectation, but we had it blunted right from uh, the outset. Uh, we're going to be talking, uh, trying to talk to Simon Dool, but it doesn't appear if uh, we can get through to Dooley as well. It's a bit uh, synonymous with the Olympics, isn't it, when we tried to get through to Tokyo and uh, we couldn't get a good line. So I'm not quite sure what's happening with the telecommunication system. So it doesn't appear we'll, we'll get Dooley. Uh, we're going to be talking to uh, Grant Nisbet um, after 10 o'clock. Of course, uh, we'll break down that uh, all-black performance or non-performance against Ireland, whatever way you like. Jamie Wall and Glenn Lama will be the panellists uh, just after 20 past 10. Uh, Louis Herman Watt, Paul Moati at 5 to 11. And, and uh, Andrew Voss, a lot of movement, a lot of uh, trading and bargaining and contracting going on at the moment in this window. So, um, yeah. Uh, Andrew Voss on the NRO and Jared, um, Jared Waitley of course uh, we got a hiding we're going to have to wear it from the Australian side of things uh, around about uh, 20 past 11 this morning so uh, that is uh, our uh, show so far I've got another uh, text that has just come in I think looking at the trend in this tournament and the IPL first six overs batting first is very tough batting second at Dubai and the All Blacks and Ireland we can blame our players and coach but Ireland was just amazing they would have beaten any team on the day. And that is actually true, as would Australia today. Australia would have beaten anyone today, and Ireland would have beaten anyone at the weekend. just so happens that we were on the receiving end. Very, very true, that, Chris. Uh, we'll take a short break, uh, and when we come back, maybe some calls and texts. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Jamie's come in and uh, he said, I want to get something off my chest. The modern players are devaluing the test game, making themselves unavailable or selectors resting. Guys like Coley, Pant, Trent Bolt pulling out. Where the heck will our test game be, Smithy, in two years? I think it's a disgrace. And these guys and teams need to understand what came before them in the position to earn good money. Uh, they don't give a damn about the history of the game. Yep, I think uh, there's an element of truth in that. And uh, they are commodities these days. They're owned by owners. And uh, just like uh, in rugby in the Northern Hemisphere, to be fair, uh, they're an asset. And uh, they use them in the way they want to use them. And they have more power. And it uh, depends if you're going to have burnout. And if you're going to rest, you're going to rest from international duty rather than uh, franchise duty. Uh, Tony says, well done, Aussie. They, they have this one without uh, underarm or sandpaper assistance. Too good on the day, we'd be pretty well for a country of five million, just over 130 first-class cricketers to pick from. Aussie champs of hit and giggle cricket, not the real deal, though. We are test cricket. Yeah, Tony, well done. Extremely right. 
uh, in that regard. So if you value Test cricket, you know that we are uh, much, much better off in that particular regard. Uh, look, if you're following golf, there's some better news. Lydia Coe's actually in the club, just finished in the clubhouse, so uh, she's two behind. Uh, she's finished two behind the leaders at the moment who are still out on the course fighting it out. So that's Nellie Corder and Lexi Thompson who are tied at 19 under. That's in the latest LPGA event. And uh, Stephen Alker about to six holes into his final round is second equal at the moment. So uh, he's in with a great chance of another great finish. And also... Uh, you know, another great check. So hasn't life changed uh, since, for him since he's turned 50? Uh, apart from that, there's um, other things that um, perhaps uh, coming in we can talk about. We know about the cricket scores. Um, the All Blacks mull over the final test for the year. What kind of changes would you make? That's an interesting subject, isn't it? You know, they don't want to talk about a losing cricket performance. Uh, how did you, you rate some of the All Blacks uh, at the weekend? Uh, what did you make of uh, Richie Morgan when he came on? Um, as uh, Anton Leonard-Brown looks like he's out anyway of this test match with uh, injury. So what about the midfield? So, um, But is that the problem? Is that where the problem was or is the problem further ahead? Because that was, I would have thought, our uh, easily easiest to pick part of the game, that type five. But where were they at certain times? I, I guess you're within your rights to ask that. And uh, they certainly went, uh, it appears that they went missing in that regard. Lewis Hamilton uh, has won the Sao Paulo Grand Prix after an Incredible drive um, and gained uh, momentum in his Formula One title fight with Red Bull driver Max Verstappen. What a dogfight that is between those two. Uh, Hamilton, of course, is seven-time world champion. Uh, beat Verstappen despite starting from 10th position on the grid due to a penalty. The second Hamilton faced this weekend in Sao Paulo. Verstappen, the winner of the race's previous edition in 2019, finished second and saw his lead in the Drivers' Championship shrink to just 14 points with three races left. So the winner of uh, each race gets 25 points. Uh, Cliff from Dunedin is on the line. Good morning, Cliff. Yeah, morning, Ian. Yeah, not, yeah, not a good make... weekend for a lot of people. Not a, no, the only good that... thing that happened in the weekend was a Otago one. So that was good for me. Well, uh, but, um, they did... They... They did do well, Cliff. You're right. They uh, they out completely and utterly and outplayed Manawa too. So they fully deserve to be in that final. So yep, that was good news for you. But what, what did you make of the All Blacks and what did you make of the cricket? Well, uh, the All Blacks. Oh gosh, there's a lot of jokers that look like their um, the quality of their game has slipped. You know, to me, Brody Retallick has never been the player he had since he come back from that uh, time in Japan. And whether that's just something that he needs to pick up his game or whether, it, you know, he's getting a bit... Look, I don't know. It, it, the, the whole whole pack were outgunned. That guy, James Ryan, and that guy, Doris, they they played like men possessed. They looked bigger than that they probably were because our guys looked small and they, we looked a bit intimidated. It was, yeah, it was crazy the way uh, they... They just didn't give us a ball. They never made any mistakes. They played it, played it, and played with it. And, and we just had to keep making tackles. And in the end, we were lucky we were ahead at half time. It, it was very much against the run of play. But they didn't play. They still didn't play uh, any different in the second half. They went out there and just kept the ball. And we we had to keep making tackles. And in the end, they just they just got the points that they needed and won. Actually, the, yeah, the to be fair, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, just before we get onto the 
before we get on to the black caps, uh, Cliff, uh, what what interested me uh, about that All Black performance is that we we knew it was coming though. We we knew that their passion and the Irish would be there, but at no stage did did we appear to to thwart that enthusiasm. Uh, and the way to do that is to stop them having the ball, um, and we just continually let them have it or turned it over. It was it was like it was it was quite strange actually to see. Um, a tactic-less performance by the All Blacks in that regard. Oh, yeah. I mean, Canterbury or the Crusaders can win games without the ball and defend and then put points against you on the break. We we couldn't get the break because they never gave us the ball off mistakes. So we were just defending the whole game, basically, other than the try we ended up scoring just after half-time or before half-time, we never looked like scoring at all. We couldn't get any pressure. We couldn't get in there 22 to put any pressure on them. And it was that was the thing. We didn't have the ball. And when we did get it, we couldn't really use it at all because they defended it better than us. But yep, they the, did. Yeah, Absolutely. The black caps, the, and, and the black caps, well, yeah, it was. We, we had two or three guys who played well. And they had, their, their team played better. And really, I thought, you know, I got up and watched the, the last half of our innings and I thought, well, one set, we could have got a little bit more, but hey, you know, Hesswood and Cummings bowled pretty well. And even even Stark, his last over, wasn't too bad. You know, like Jimmy come out and hit the six, got that six, but they didn't give us anything to hit. You know, we could have scored another 10 or 15 runs off that last two or three overs, but... In the end, 170-odd, I thought, was probably enough. You know, I thought they'd have to bat well, but we just couldn't get a breakthrough after. You know, Warner came out, and he looked pretty solid. You know, he hit the ball that was loose. He hit it hard. And, um, yeah, and Mitchell Marsh come in and clubbed that big over off uh, our quick, I just lost his name, uh, 6-4-4, and they just suddenly dominated. You know, they looked like they had the scoreboard under control from the rest of that game. And in the end, you know, bolt bowl well, the rest of them, it was a struggle. Well, you've nailed it, Cliff. You've absolutely nailed it. Uh, thanks very much for your call this morning. Um, and uh, I can hear in your voice you're very disappointed and you uh, want some questions answered. And uh, we might be able to do that after 10 o'clock, particularly with the rugby with uh, Grant Nisbet. Take a very short break. When we come back, we'll come back uh, with uh, some multi news. Voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, Hawks Bay couldn't beat Tasman. Uh, they tried uh, up until the uh, 81st minute, but were denied by a very tenacious uh, Tasman side who deserved to win. So uh, that one didn't go any further at $1.51, uh, of course, and Manawatu weren't able to beat Otago either at home. Uh, lost their playmaker just after I put that option into the multi, and uh, for that reason, uh, their chances went uh, a little bit slimmer as well. Incidentally, before we get onto the multi, uh, Lydia Coe is now... Uh, second by herself, Lexi Thompson's playing the last hole of this PGA tournament and not playing very good golf at the moment. 
Um, and uh, it looks to me as if uh, uh, Thompson has to make par on the last to win by one shot, otherwise Lydia Coe could well be in a playoff very shortly, so don't put your clubs in the car just yet, girl. Uh, right, the multi for today, uh, Kansas City Chiefs and the NFL to beat the Las Vegas Raiders at a buck sixty-two. The Denver Nuggets to beat the Portland Trailblazers at a dollar thirty-seven, and a World Cup soccer qualifier tonight. This is a bit left field. I'm not quite sure about the strength of these these two sides. I'm just going on the basis that it's um, a healthy market. Uh, Kenya to beat Rwanda. Can you believe you'd ever have a bet on that? Kenya to beat Rwanda at a buck ninety-one. The return for that will be four dollars twenty-four. Four dollars twenty-four. So we'll keep an eye on Stephen Olker's progress throughout the morning. Uh, he's still uh, a long way from uh, finishing. And uh, we'll just keep an eye, too, on this uh, LPGA tournament featuring Lydia Connelly uh, Corder, incidentally, just triple bogey, triple bogey the 17th pole to take herself way out of the reckoning. And that, unbelievably, from the number one player in the world. Number one rugby commentator in the world is next. That's Grant Nisbet, and we shall take a look at the All Blacks' performance or non-performance in a couple of areas depending on which way you look at it. 10 o'clock here on SNS. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The crowd love it, and Ireland now just seconds away from a thoroughly deserved win. Thank you. They'll put it into touch and fitting that James Lowe, who had the first say, has the last say. Famous victory again, brilliant Ireland. You know, we've certainly got no excuses of saying this wasn't a World Cup game or anything like that. This was a game that we wanted. We we were very excited about playing and didn't get what we want. Hung in there and still didn't get what we want. So you know, we've got to sometimes you just got to accept that you're second best on the night. Yeah, well, it's uh, Ian Foster, of course, sounding a little bit down in the dumps, as you would imagine after that. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it was a pasting, but they were certainly comprehensively outplayed in a lot of areas. A uh, man who uh, was watching it intently, I'm sure, uh, over the weekend, uh, Grant Nisbet, uh, the voice of uh, Sky Commentary. And uh, Nisbo, uh, the first question I have for you is, do the Irish have our number, particularly in Ireland? G'day, Smithy. Yeah, it looks that way, doesn't it? Um, you know, they had that first ever win in Chicago, then they backed it up by winning in Ireland, and now they backed it up again, so... Yeah, they're proving a real bogey team for us. I was, I was just listening to Ian Foster there, thinking, you know, we hung in there. That's about all we did. Um, we were not proactive at any point. We were out-muscled from the word go, and we just had no way of countering it, and, and it was that's what made it so damn disappointing. Yeah, I mean, we must have known that it, for the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of that, on the back of... Um Ireland's call and the and the hype and the expectation they were going to hit us hard, but we we just didn't seem to look like we did know that was going to happen. Well, yeah, and their attitude was fantastic. The Irish, I mean, how many shots at goal did they turn down in that first fifteen twenty minutes? They they were hell bent on on scoring tries, and of course they managed one. They had one waved away for whatever reason, um, the one that was scored by uh, Tug Furlong. But, um, you know, they just they, they had a great attitude. And so often when you go up north, 
teams uh, try to wear you down, I'm just sort of thinking at it. If we'd been at Twickenham in the same situation, would England have turned down three points? I don't think so. No. So I like the Irish attitude, really, and that might have and, and that might have surprised us a wee bit. Maybe it shouldn't have, but um, you know the, the fact that they were intent on getting the ball over the whitewash rather than trying to kick it over the post. I, I just like their attitude. Out-muscled is a term that's quite often used in rugby these days when you talk about the packs, Nisbo. But I think that's the truth, and and when it comes to the big occasion, we quite often are. Are we not big enough, or what is wrong there? Oh, look, I think we're big enough. I think it's an attitude thing, really. Um, first thing is that we need to hang out of the ball longer, and, you know, we had the ball, and uh, if, if we couldn't break the defence, we kicked it away. Um, we weren't patient enough for the ball. I mean, you take your mind back to that famous victory uh, that the All Blacks had at the Aviva a fair few years ago now when Ryan Crotty scored in the last minute. Eventually, uh, we were able to crack them. I don't know how many phases we went through, but uh, eventually we got there. Um, I just get the feeling at the moment, if we don't break the opposition in the first sort of 10 phases... We just booted away and hoped that uh, they might make a mistake or whatever. I think, uh, I think patience is the first thing. You can't exist on less than 40% of the ball, and that's what we tried to do. Uh, and, of course, the, what eventually happens is that you end up tackling, and uh, that's energy sapping. And they, they had to tackle for most of that game. Sure, they tackled well, but uh, you don't win games without the ball. Yeah, I mean, the tackle count was enormous. I've never seen anything like that against an all-black side, to be fair, particularly at half-time. Uh, Nisbo, can we, can we put the blame on the, the schedule? Uh, you know, three relatively easy games in a row, then bang, the Irish hitting us like this? Or uh, Could we have picked our sides better? Could we have structured it better? Uh, yeah, hard to say. I mean, there's such a massive uh, crew over there, Smithy, that... You know, you really got to give players game time and uh, they would have looked at... They wouldn't have known quite what to expect, I guess, against the Welsh. Um, admittedly, it was outside the international window, therefore Wales uh, didn't have their best players available. So, um, you know, they, they put in a, a, well, arguably their better team in there. And, um, and then, of course, they looked at the Italian side who haven't won for something like 14 or 15 games and... They looked at their squad and they thought, OK, here's an opportunity to give a few guys who wouldn't normally play in the top team a run. Um, and then, of course, you come up against the two top teams uh, on this tour, Ireland firstly and now France coming up. And they were kind of obliged to throw in what they thought was their best team. Um, and so I, I'm not sure that they had too many alternatives, to be perfectly honest. It's been a, it's been a long season. It's been a difficult season. But there's a lot to be said for being together for such long periods of time. You know, you uh, t teams can make the best out of that. And, uh, you know, because they're confined to quarters and uh, don't really get out and see anybody else. But, you know, they, you know, they can, um, they can galvanise, but it just didn't happen at the weekend at all. Individually, uh, who did not stack up for you, Nisbo? Oh, mate, if you said to me who did, I could probably come up with a very short list, which leaves the whole rest of them, and they'll know who they are. I mean, the Type 5 didn't front on the day, did they? They simply did not front on the day. They were completely outplayed and outmuscled by the, uh, by the Welsh, uh, sorry, by the Irish. 
tight five. Um, and once the tight five, of course, are beaten, then the loose forwards become relatively ineffective. The halfback becomes ineffective. The number 10 becomes ineffective. The game of rugby is simple. It's built around the tight five. And if the tight five are not dominant, then uh, the rest of them look mediocre. And unfortunately, that's the way it is. Does that go for uh, TJ Perinara? A lot, most of the texts I've got coming in this morning, I'll be honest with you, mention his name uh, in terms of uh, his speed uh, around the ball at the moment. Now, is that something you've noticed? Yeah, look, it's not as quick as Aaron Smith. There's no doubt about that. But that's always been the case. And uh, I think TJ Perinara is better off the bench uh, when he can come and make an impact in the last 20 minutes or so. Um, but no halfback's going to look good when the forward pack is not dominant. And it doesn't matter how good you are, you simply can't. And, um, you know, Jamison Gibson-Park, who, to be honest with you, was a very good first-class rugby player in New Zealand, not good enough to command a starting spot in a super rugby team. Um, he, looked, he looked outstanding. And the reason for that, of course, is that his forward pack was marching forward. So generally speaking, he was getting front foot ball, whereas Perinara was having to reach in and grab the ball, and he was very rarely ever getting good, clean ball. So uh, while his form is probably not as good as it could be, um, I think there are extenuating circumstances to some extent. Uh, to some extent. Okay, uh, so is that, uh, I, I guess that uh, also rolls into the performance of uh, Richie Moonga, who... Uh, appeared to be a little bit missing at times. Yeah, look, he's, he, I mean, he's yet to make that next step, really, isn't he? I mean, he's a superb super rugby player, we know that. But against the top-tier nations, I can't remember a dominant performance from Richie in that number 10 shirt. And uh, there was an opportunity there yesterday, but uh, to some extent negated by the performance of his board pack, for sure, but it wasn't a dominating performance by any means, was it? And uh, it looks as though, I mean, if Bowden Barrett's not fit this week, then there's only one option. He's got to play against France. And uh, I would hope the All Black selectors will pick Aaron Smith. I mean, why fly a bloke around the world and not play him? I mean, this is so stupid. And uh, so he's got to start. If he runs out of puff after 60 minutes, so be it. But he's got to start. I mean, here's the world's best, arguably the world's best number nine, against arguably the world's second-best number nine because the French halfback Dupont is just brilliant. Um, we've got our, we're going to put our best halfback in there for sure and hope we get something more out of the forwards this week. Yeah, we do, uh, because France will have, have taken some heart out of that. There's no doubt about it. The other thing, uh, I guess, to look at, uh, Nisbo, is, is the, the officiating again. The game seemed to go for, like, you know, two hours, um, the, or this constant referral of things, uh, and in the end, sometimes not getting it right after all that. Uh, I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm like the public actually. I'm watching a lot of rugby lately. I'm, I'm getting sick of it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you. Um, these blokes are scared to make a decision. Even when a try is scored, and it's quite clearly a try, they go upstairs to check it. Um, it started in the NRL, and it's it's filtered into rugby. These blokes are scared to make a decision because they're scared that the whiteboard on Monday morning at the referee's meeting will show that they were wrong. Um, for God's sake, make a decision and let's get on with it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, mate. Uh, changes for this way. Okay, let, you, you've um, illustrated. You want um, uh, clearly you want Aaron Smith, and who? Uh, and I think that'll that'll absolutely happen. 
How about that loose forward trio, which you said were not able to function uh, on the back of the tight five? What, would you make any changes there? Is Artie in the right position still, or uh, how are we looking there? Oh, boy. Yeah, look, that's the problem. You know, we played our, we played our best team against Ireland and, and got hosed off the park. Where do we go from now? Um, we look at the rest of the squad and we say, is Sam Kane fit for a top test match like this? Do we throw him back at seven? Um, maybe for a bit of physicality, do we put uh, do put Yuani back at six? I mean, we're only tinkering here, Smithy. We have to look at that tight five, and that was our best tight five. I'd, personally, I'd start Dane Coles because we need a bit of niggle in there. We need we need a bit of attitude for a start off. So I'd be starting Dane Coles, um, but mm. I can't see what else you're going to do in the tight five. But that's where it all started. That's where it stemmed. And as I said before, if the tight five don't operate, then the loose forwards are not going to look much good anyway. Uh, look, you can tinker, you can fiddle, you can do what you like, um, but it's all about attitude. These blokes have to have a good hard look at themselves this week and just get up for it. And I suppose, uh, just fine, I, I can't let you go without uh, perhaps asking uh, this question. Be a lot of focus on women's rugby, of course, and um, you know uh, how we're going in terms of the black ferns, etc., Etc. Uh, they they now appear not just to be a mile behind England, but France as well. So with the World Cup less than twelve months away, worrying signs for the host nation. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, they're going to have to very good uh, look at themselves. And uh, you know they played uh, certainly England. I'm not sure about France, but they're playing fully professional players, uh, whereas our girls are um, you know sort of part timers and 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 all the rest of it. Sure, they get a bit of money, but. You know, do, can they devote themselves entirely to this? And, you know, if we want to be competitive, that's the way we're going to have to go, Smith, whether we like it or not, um, because we're getting left behind. And that's quite clear. I mean, I, I wasn't shocked about the England games. I was pretty shocked when I saw the French game, I, I must say. They they looked outstanding at the French, and they've got to go through it all again this weekend. And I hope they can turn it round. But, hey, look, it's um, it, it's all about resource, really. And, um, you know, once they get home, they're going to have to have a very, very close look at things. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how they find the opposition without going back to the Northern Hemisphere. How do they find that kind of opposition that's going to prepare them? Because when they're playing against each other, they don't get the combinations. Uh, I'm just wondering if somehow, in a weird sort of way, they go almost like the netball way. They try and find a, um, a men's or a, a first 15 type equivalent that they can... And harden up and, 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 you know, be harder against. There has to be a way, but I'm searching for it. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, And you need significant opposition. You can't go into a World Cup, um, you know, um, sort of half-cooked. You've really got to have significant opposition. I guess we look across the Tasman, um, who are currently our best opposition in this part of the world, and just schedule, you know, three or four games and, uh, and and get into it. But at the moment, things are a bit. Uh, there are some certainly some worrying signs there. Yep, there certainly are, mate. Absolutely. Hey, thanks very much for your honesty and uh, your breakdown on what you saw over the weekend. And, and good luck with the call this weekend against France. Good on you, Smithy. Cheers, mate. Yeah, cheers, uh, Grant Nisbet there uh, with uh, as always an honest assessment uh, about how he saw it and. Uh, where he thinks we're at, and at the moment uh, we're just searching for answers, particularly up front, and the French will do us no favours. I can tell you, uh, in the women's golf, we've been keeping an eye on that, well, Lexi Thompson has absolutely just choked here.
Uh, Nelly Corder has birdied the last. We're now into a four-way playoff. The good news is that involves Lydia Coe. So four ladies about to stride back down to the 18th tee. And uh, they will, S.Y. Kim is one of them. Yeah, S.Y. Kim, Lydia Coe, Lexi Thompson, Nelly Corder. That'll be hell of a good viewing, actually, to be fair. Uh, 10.17 here, and SENZ will keep you updated on that. And Stephen Elker, of course, uh, panel next. And, and that, of course, will be uh, Jamie Wall and Glenn Lama. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Jamie Wall and Glenn Lama, good morning to you gentlemen uh, as part of the panel today and so much to reflect on on a weekend we expected so much and uh, really we got a little back in return. So Jamie, let's uh, start with you. First of all, I guess the freshest thing in the mind is uh, the Black Caps not being able to withstand Australia's power this morning. What did you make of that? Yeah, thanks very much, Smithy, and good morning to you and everyone. I I thought that it was it was always going to be tough against an Australian team that has always had the water on us in, in big games, and it does very much feel like to beat Australia regularly in games that matter is something that Black Caps are going to have to do to really kind of be classed as a as an international superpower, and and. To, to fall again at this one is, an, is more evidence that perhaps there is a little bit of a mental block there around playing the Aussies because really 171 uh, in a T20 match is a defendable is a very defendable total um, and the way that the Australians went about and got it was was pretty easy uh, in the end um, they they won that game running away uh, so I, I feel like this one could kind of be classed as a bit of a choke. Uh, by the Black Caps, and I know that everyone lo- loves the Black Caps right now, and and then they're a very easy team to support. Um, and then you know there's this perception about them punching above their weight and everything, and, and and they are full of great players, and they do pull pull off great wins. But this is a game that needed to be won, and they didn't do it. Uh, so I think there's a few questions that need to be asked there. Yes, it is T20, and yes, we are the still. Well, if it, if it came down to it, like what would I rather have, the World Test Championship or the World T20 Championship? Like yeah. Trust me, I've, I want them to be world test champions. Uh, but it would have been nice to have got one over the Aussies in this one and, and perhaps prove that they're not this big bogeyman for us that, uh, that that always show up and beat us in the ones that matter. Yep, uh, Glenn, I, I think it's a fair assessment um, because uh, a lot of people, I think, have got the, the same kind of thought about it, Glenn, and... You know, they do. Ju- it's just when it comes to the real crunch. The real crunch, as optimistic as we are, we see we every now and then we just take another one on the chin, and this was quite a hefty blow. Yeah, look, I don't know if it's a choke. I, I it just depends what your definition of a choke is. I don't, you know, choke to me mean we're in a winnable, you know, a, a, a dominant winnable position, utterly winnable position, and then we lose the game. I don't know if we ever we were ever in that position in this game. Um, I thought Williamson batted superbly, but that there was a period when he was at the crease, Smithy, with Gupta, where they had they couldn't find the boundary for 32 balls, and I ended up reflecting on that period, thinking that that was really the moment where we lost, uh, or we 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 were playing catch up from that moment. And as great as Williamson was with his ball striking and that boundary um, hitting that he got into after that um, that rut. And catch up a little bit from there, and it felt like that 
when we were in the field as well. Uh, do we have a mental block against Australians? I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I definitely think we did when we played them in the 2015 World Cup final in Melbourne. When um, I don't think we were mentally up, up uh, prepared for that game at all after winning the semi here. But um, I, I thought we had moments in this game here which suggested we 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 don't have a mental block. But I think it just comes back to the Smithy. We in, in rugby we have the wood over the over the Wallabies. In rugby league, the Kangaroos have the wood over the Kiwis. We win occasionally against the Kangaroos in rugby league. The Wallabies win occasionally against the All Blacks in rugby union. And um, for, if you go right back through the history of cricket, they're a bigger cricket country. They have more resources. They generally have more talented players. Occasionally we beat them, but more often than not, they beat us. And we haven't beaten them in a test, what is it now, almost 10 years, maybe even a bit longer. Um, this is unfortunately how it is when it comes to cricket. And we, we, we kind of sit there and we hope that we, they come, they, we, we can beat the Aussies because we love to beat them, especially in cricket. But unfortunately, not today. They were just too good. Hazelwood bowled brilliantly. Mitchell Marsh batted superbly. I mean, that 60 hit off the first ball he received was magnificent. And, you know, he actually underlines the, 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 the difference in depth between our teams or their country and our country, generally speaking. Um, you know, every time I see Mitchell Marsh play, Smithy, he looks a million bucks to me. And then in the next game, for some reason, they drop him. And I'm thinking, oh, we would, I would love to have Mitchell Marsh in our team because, geez, he's a talented player. Um, and, and, and he proved it today. So those are my thoughts on the game. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think we were playing catch up with that, with that long period when we couldn't score a boundary when Williamson and Gupta were together. James, that's interesting, that, that phase of play. I, I, I thought at the break that 170 would be enough if we absolutely bowled well, uh, and only really did, uh, did Trent Bolt, for me, deliver with the new ball. Saudi was honest but not threatening, and Milner, I'm not quite sure, was uh, up to this big stage after all, to be fair. And when it comes to the spinners, Jamie, uh, we are always under pressure when it comes to our spinners, unfortunately. Well, yeah, I think that's where we lost the game. Um, to be honest, is that we we only had one guy show up with the ball, uh, Bolt, and they had Hazelwood and Zampa who was tying down an end and, and frustrating the score, uh, the scoring rate as Glenn uh, mentioned just before. And you really need just like you need two guys to get the runs with the bats, you need two two guys to be doing the work with the ball, and we just didn't have it um, today. And I, I mean, I think that. If there's one thing that I can sympathise with the Black Caps on this one is that obviously the pitches over there suit the team's batting second. Um, I, th- I, I think just going... I, I heard a stat this morning saying that there's overwhelmingly the, the teams are batting second in this tournament um, were, were, were winning. Uh, so, you know, that, that didn't work in their favour either. And the other thing about it is that the Australian mindset is if you give an Australian cricket a, a, a hard task, uh, he, he'll go out and, and, and absolutely do it. And they, 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 they went out and um, Marsh and... Um, oh, I forgot the... Marsh Maxwell, Warner. Uh, Warner. Yeah, Marsh, Warner and Maxwell just, just got it done and, and made it look so, so easy uh, out there So in the second innings. So I think that, yeah, that, that's part of what the, the mental block is, is once those Aussies get on a roll, it's very hard for the Black Caps to, to stay with them. Well, the news didn't get too much better in terms of the rugby department, maybe a little bit worse actually. We'll focus on that when we come back. Uh, our panel, Jamie Wall and Glenn Lama today, but uh, right now it's news time with Trudy. Big talk, big opinions, the panel.
10.32 here on SNZ and it's uh, part two of the panel. We've got uh, Jamie Wall and Glenn Lama with us this morning. Right, let's focus on rugby. Ladies first, uh, Glenn, I think, uh, not that I'm including you in that, I'm just saying let's talk about the Black Ferns <laughs> first of all. Glenn, um, and well, uh, we knew England would be tough, but to all of a sudden there's a gap between us and France as well it seems. Well, yeah, first of all, Smithy, good to see some sleep deprivation hasn't robbed you of your sense of humour, mate, so that's good. Um, look, uh, the um, yeah, the the women's rugby team is a worry, isn't it? I mean, I think we've had a, a huge wake-up call here with this World Cup coming up uh, in, a, in a year's time. They've got some hell, they've got a hell of a lot of work to do. Based on what we've seen in the three games so far, they're going to get thumped in this next game coming up as well. Uh, but I just wonder this is whether this is showing up uh, women's sport in New Zealand, and, and particularly in team sports, Smithy, has is, is got some worrying signs for the future. I mean, if you actually go through it, our women's teams in international sport are struggling at the moment. The Silver Ferns go pretty good uh, in an all-women's sport. They, get, they are still competitive, but um, we've seen other teams rise in that sport. But if you actually look at our Black Ferns, the women's cricket team, the football team, the hockey team, and if you go back 10... 12 years with all those sides they were all pretty competitive back in those days but now they're all really struggling and I just think what we've seen happening over, rugby league is another team as well that used to dominate Australia but now the Jillaroos have it all over us as well and I just think what's happening overseas in particular is we're seeing all these international sports and and countries focus on women's sport over the last 5 to 10 years they have really cranked up their resourcing and unfortunately we are not keeping pace in those sports you know, I remember five years ago commentating the New Zealand football team, women's football team. They beat Brazil in Brazil, which was an amazing achievement. But now we're getting thumped easily by the world's best teams in that sport. Our hockey team was not competitive at the Olympic Games. Now we're seeing the Black Ferns. You know, our women's cricket team, Smithy, has fallen right off the pace in the last five to ten years as we see other teams get resourced overseas. Talent, talent identification is, is much improved. And we're seeing much better athletes playing across women's team sports that we like to enjoy and we've had success in in the past, we're not able to compete with these teams anymore. So I think there's a real problem looming here for New Zealand sport generally. And, um, you know, we've got, we're we're struggling for money in a lot of these sports as well. Uh, And unfortunately, overseas countries are not. And I think we're seeing this now leak into women's 15s rugby where we're not fit enough other teams are fit enough, they're superbly conditioned, they're well-coached, well-resourced, and we're being left behind. Mm, interesting observations there that go deeper, obviously, uh, in your mind than on the, on the field and on the court. Uh, Jamie, uh, I'd really like to uh, switch attention now, if I could, please, to uh, the All Blacks, who uh, are not short on resources, not sure, short on build-up, etc., but uh, were short on muscle and uh, some key areas, weren't they, on Sunday morning? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just quickly on, on the Black Ferns, if I could just add my two cents on that one as well, is that, yeah, it is a money thing, like Glenn said, um, and all you've got to do is look at the Sevens uh, team and what they achieved when they were funded properly. They won a gold medal, and now the Black Ferns are getting thumped by everyone at the moment. So there's, there's your answer to that problem. Um, but back to the All Blacks, though. Yeah, the, this was a, a hard watch, and not hard because... Uh, of the result. I mean, like, it was so physically intense what the Irish brought uh, to the All Blacks. 
Um, I I don't think I've seen an All Black team have to make that many tackles, especially in the in the first half. It seemed like the only time that they touched the ball was when they scored that that quite quite easy try, which was kind of ironic, really. And uh, you can't sustain that over 80 minutes against a team, uh, an international rugby team. You can't just tackle your way out of out of a situation like that. And it only lasted until just after half time, where they conceded, I think it was two tries in, in about six minutes. Um, and then after that, Ireland just had the control of the game. And you, I think you were talking with Nisbo a little bit earlier about uh, not um, kicking penalties. Well, that, that's kind of half true. The, the, uh, the, the way that the most effective rugby is played is you back yourself to score your tries off your penalties um, by kicking into the corner uh, early on, and then you kick your points at the end to kill the game off. And that's exactly what Ireland, Ireland did. They've done their homework. Um, Andy Farrell is clearly a, a very good coach um, who, who completely outthought um, Ian Foster and John Plumtree and the rest of the all-black coaching staff. And that's the real worry um, coming out of this game is that they got figured out so easily uh, that Ireland basically just was able to have their way with them um, for that entire, an, entire period. And now we're looking at the fact that, you know, a few years ago we never lost to Ireland. Now we've lost... Now we're losing them more times than we're beating them. And I think that another loss, and I said this last week, that uh, you know the All Blacks could potentially lose these next two tests. Well, they've lost one of them. And if they go to Paris and lose this one to you know what is a pretty good French team, um, we're going to have a long summer of asking, you know, have we got the right people in charge? And, and I feel like I'm, I'm repeating myself. But that is very much the reality for the All Blacks right now, is where are they at, what direction are they heading in, and you know, how, how is this all going to look next year, and are we starting all over again? So, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's going to be an interesting week. Individuals, Glenn, for you, who um, either aren't up to it or are past it, perhaps? Well, I'm still, I've got to be honest here, Miss Smithy, I'm still waiting for Richie Moonga to take control of a big test match like that. Still don't think we've seen it in his international career. He's fine when, he's, when, he's playing a, uh, when we're playing a team that's not at the all-black standard. He's fine when he comes onto the field, say he's on the bench and we're 10 points up, he'll, he'll uh, be good enough. But when uh, we see a circumstance like that at the weekend, I want to see him come on and take ownership and leadership of the team. I think he's lacking in that department. Wonderful, talented player but I think we are definitely missing that element of our first five play, even in Bowdoin Barrett at the moment, where we need to really, when, when the grind is on in a game like that, we need to uh, get that little extra percent from our first five to drive our team. We're not seeing it, and we haven't seen it from Mwonga. Having said all that, and I agree with what Jamie said, there are some worrying signs for the future with coaching and all that sort of stuff, uh, but I think we have to say well done to Ireland. I mean, they were hopeless at the last World Cup, weren't they? I mean, within now two years later, they've beaten us again. It's pretty impressive um, what they've managed to do. And but having, I'm going to contradict myself again. Having said all that, Smithy, we could have won that game in the 68th minute when Yuani threw that little forward pass to his brother. On another day, that might have gone over, and we might have scored a try there. We were under a penalty advantage. I am going to say we shouldn't have kicked the goal there. We should have gone for the try. We were six points down. We had them. We had a we had good field position. We had momentum. I'm saying that was a mistake, that we kicked for goal there and we closed the gap to three. I think that the, we should have gone for the try and left it all out there. 
because if we get in front there by one point with a, with 10 minutes to play, I would back us to win the game. So I think there's some issues yeah. there that need solving. Uh, yes, our Ireland deserved the win and they outplayed us, but we still could have won that game um, had those things happened, Moonga, and that right decision at the end with that with that penalty kick. What do you reckon? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point, uh, Jamie. Uh, it's an interesting thing this uh, because of the way the game's being officiated now. I, I find myself as a commentator and as a watcher of rugby looking just as much at the at the damn referee as I do at the players sometimes because you're just waiting for that damn arm to go out. And I think sometimes that's how uh, teams tactically are approaching the game for that. Yeah, and I can understand why uh, people are frustrated um, with the officials at the moment because it, it has become a game in itself. Um, however, I, I personally don't blame the referees themselves. They, they, they are out there doing the job that the, the laws of the game necessitate them to do. And yeah, I think that perhaps just the personality of uh, Luke Pearce on the weekend and how he just decided he just wanted to have a chat with everyone. But at the end of the day, he was getting the calls right. Um, oh, and, and Jamie, so stop there. there. Stop, 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 stop. That Whoa. yellow card on Cody Taylor was ridiculous. And James Lowe went and scored oh. a try under that yellow card. That was a ridiculous decision. That's got nothing to do with the laws. He should have never been yellow carded for that. No, I think, no, but you can, you can definitely make a case that he, he made contact with the kid. So therefore it is a yellow card. I thought, I, you know, I understand that law. Like, I know, I know that people just don't like it and that a few years ago it wouldn't have been even been a penalty, but it is. You know, we've seen, we've seen easy, uh, smaller shots than that get, get done, for, done for yellows and even reds. So, I mean, I, don't, I personally didn't have a problem with the way he, the way he officiated it. I just think that um, one of the problems that I had with the, with the All Blacks, and especially Sam Whitelock on the weekend, was the way that he got into uh, almost like a banter battle with the, with the Irish and and the referee himself. And a lot of time and energy was wasted trying to get on the side of the referee. And I think that that's a real issue of the game at the moment is that trying to win favour with the referees is taking away from actually just playing the game itself. Uh, so I, I, I understand the frustration around it and it's something that needs to be looked at at a much, much higher level. Um, because at the moment, like, I, I do have some sympathy for the refs on it. And, yeah, you know, you know, I can understand where you're coming from, Glenn. Like, I, I, mm. I get it. It could have gone, it could have gone either way. But, you know, it was in, it was in the books. I just, but yeah, you're right. It, it is taking way too long for these games to get, get played. And we are listening to a bunch of guys talking to each other, uh, who just, you know, like, we, when we should be watching football. Yeah. Gentlemen, uh, it was a weekend, uh, unreviewed that deserved, uh, deserved robust. Conversation and debate, and I thank you both very much for that. Jamie Wall and, and Glenn Lama were the panel this morning, and, and some very, very valid and uh, interesting points made there too uh, about uh, rugby and cricket. So uh, we'll leave it at that. Another one tomorrow morning. It's ten forty-three here on SENZ because we've got to get to Louis Herman Watt and Paul Mawati before eleven o'clock. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, golfing update. Uh, Nelly Corder has won that tournament. It was a four-way playoff. Uh, she birdied the ex- first extra hole. The other players could not do that. Lexi Thompson, her putting was a nightmare in the last four to five holes, and she absolutely blew an opportunity there. So 
Uh, yep, Nelly Corder, number one golfer in the world, reaffirms that status and gets the big prize there, and Lydia Coe finishes second equal. Uh, now there's a six-way tie, a uh, six-way tie in the lead in the Champions Tour, uh, where Stephen Elker is part of that six-way tie. It's the Charles Schwab Cup Championship, $2.5 million up for grabs, uh, and he's in there alongside Darren Clark, Jim Furyk, Phil Mickelson, Kirk Triplett, and Brent Job. Uh, they are the six players. Man, he's in hallowed company, and he deserves to be at the moment, does Stephen Elker. Uh, would a women's uh, championship like the men's help like uh, help the Black Ferns? Well, it would, but you've got to find those uh, teams, that, uh, those comparative teams. Are Australia going to prepare us? Beating Australia, is that going to prepare us for playing against England and France? Are they tough enough up front to give us a battle? I don't think so. I think we scored a lot of points against them in a very loose manner, and that's not the way that uh, it's going to beat England or France, it seems. You've got to do the hard work, um, and that at the moment is not that apparent. Brad Weber and Christie seem to look good behind a struggling pack. TJ is just not up to international rugby anymore. He's too slow around the park, and his pass accuracy is terrible. NZR have paid way too much to keep him in New Zealand. So some uh, honest thoughts there. Uh, Smithy Moanga was poor. Uh, changes Akira and Sotutu to start. When we need big ball players, and if Bowden is out, start McKenzie at 10, says uh, Ken. Just a few of your thoughts, and there are plenty more for us to uh, relay after the news at 11 o'clock and in between guests that we've got lined up for you. So uh, 10.50 here on SENZ, uh, time to catch up with Louis Herman Watt after a busy weekend of racing and the Cup Carnival coming to a close in Christchurch. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. And it's my pleasure to talk to Louis Herman. What, uh, on the Monday after the end of a pretty successful on-the-track New Zealand Cup Carnival? Uh, Louis, I, I think it's fair to say, um, did, you, did you make a quid, or are you going to make one today for us? No, a little quiet Monday today, Smithy, a little breather from the punt, but after last week, well, actually the last two weeks, I mean, we rolled through from the Melbourne Carnival straight into the Christchurch or the New Zealand Cup Week Carnival, and I mean, I don't know about you, but I thought it was a raging success. Yeah, oh, the lack of crowds is disturbing, and I hope we never have to live through that ever again. It truly is disturbing to see Addington and Rickerton without uh, hordes of people. But the racing itself, I think we had fair results, some great punting races and some proper horses that are going to go down as legends. I really enjoyed it. What did you make of the cup itself? Uh, bodes well, very strong, but not quite there in the end. Uh, stuck it on well, but run down. Yes, uh, that's exactly right, Smithy. It was a, a real proper go, wasn't it? It was a proper staying test in the wet down there where Mondorani and surprise, surprise, Kevin Myers pops up for a staying test and, and wins a group race. When the wet comes, Dummy Myers' horses just seems to really fire up and they find lengths. Bodeswell was huge. Do you know what? Lincoln King was huge, running on for fourth or fifth in the wet. There was no exposed form around it, so I don't mind tipping that out. We didn't know what the weather was going to be like. Lead aboard uh, for Fortuna. It pr- runs into third paying $10 a place. Mm. So yeah. there was a big form turnaround there. The cup was great. The guineas was awesome. Um, or uh, Jamie Richards' first four. I mean, this guy is you know, we, we use superlatives all the time and I'm pe- sure people of your generation, whether you've seen a lot more than me, probably get sick of us saying freak or greatest or, you know, all of these words. But and I know he's, he's a youngster, but Jamie Richards has trained his fifth fiftieth group, group one, and he's trained that in doing so the first four in a group one. 
And I know he's got the cattle. I know Tiako and DC, and, and the, I understand there is a team behind him, but this guy must be a, some sort of a horseman that we probably haven't seen many of. Do you agree? I agree. I totally agree. Um, you know, you've, you've, you can have the flesh, but you've still got to prepare it in the right way and make the right decisions around it. And he sets them up beautifully. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And his plans, more often than not, come to fruition. And really, I think the plus for me to Louis, I say goodbye to you, was the fact that Opie Boston's back in the saddle. Yep. And that has got to be great for racing in New Zealand. Bingo. To see the best back on, back on show. Uh, Paul Mawadi from the TAB. Busy weekend of racing. Busy weekend of sport. Not the way we wanted it all to finish, uh, Paul, but I imagine you guys were flat tack. Yeah, it's uh, very, very busy here. Uh, Smitty, as you say, uh, not the best results for New Zealand teams over the weekend with the All Blacks and the, the Black Caps and the Black Ferns, but um, congratulations to you. You've uh, picked up another uh, collect in the SENZ showdown tipping with, uh, I think it was Scotty Scheffler finishing in the top 10 mm. uh, in mm. Houston. And he's, uh, what, he finished in a tie for second, so you were well in there. Of course, we just saw Lydia Coe uh, finish second after losing in a four-way playoff. Uh, and we've currently got Stephen Elka in a five- or six-way tie uh, just over halfway through their final round of the Charles Schwab uh, Championship. So golfing-wise, Kiwis are absolutely flying. Of course, today, American football is on. The, Ve- uh, the Las Vegas Raiders are taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. We've got a bonus back promotion on Max Smitty. Uh, and we've got a $10,000 guaranteed terminating pick six at the Addington Dogs. I just head to the TAP website to check out all the T's and C's around those promotions. Uh, and you can bet live on a number of those NFL games that are currently on at the moment. Uh, the Panthers up big against the Arizona Cardinals at the moment. Wow, that would be a tune-up. The Cardinals have had a hell of a start to the season. So uh, Paul Moati from the TAB there with the latest opportunities for you to make some hay today. Uh, it is 11 o'clock here on SENZ. After the break, Bossy, as per usual, on a Monday. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. New Zealand time, time to eat some humble pie for the next half hour or so as we uh, call on a couple of our SEN colleagues in Australia. First of all, as usual, it is uh, time to to get uh, Andrew Voss on the line with League News. But first of all, uh, we're doing a lot of post-mortem work uh, here on a weekend where we got beaten in a few areas. Uh, Vossie, but in terms of the cricket, you don't have to worry about that. You were dominant, you deserve to win. I'm going to try and get something out of you here. Three words. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Uh, uh, oi, 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 Smithy. Come on, Smithy. Buy uh, in, mate. We're only separated by a little you, patch of water. You can, you that's can as good as we're going to get. the glory of the Australian that, today, no? No? That, that's as good uh, as you're going to get, boy. Just enjoy, okay. just enjoy well, small, small offerings. Yeah. Can I, can I say this in being gracious in victory? I mean, Tane Williamson, one of the great knocks, uh, to be quite honest. Um, and, and so good, you know, played great spirit, uh, watched every ball and Australia win. I mean, to be honest, there's some of us still pinching ourselves over this side of the bitch um, that Australia have won. I mean, it's been quite incredible. And, and, and so they should crow. I mean, the doubters, and, and I was one of them, Dave Warner, player of the tournament, quite extraordinary. Mitchell Marsh has found his place. Um, Josh Hazelwood, fantastic at in Tampa. Um, they, they've won the Cup carrying in some ways. Aaron Finch, modest. Steve Smith, modest. But 
they're the World Cup champions. So there's obviously a great resolve in the team. Only one defeat, and it was a big one to England. But this was a team that had lost its last five T20 series, Smithy. Five in a row. Yeah, mm. like, and, and well beaten. And mind you, not the full squad all the time, but, but well beaten. Um, you had reason. You had reason to doubt them. So that even adds to the performance, I believe, or adds to the achievement that under pressure it performed so well. Well, the, the other thing about that too is I would imagine one of the most relieved guys, and I, I can almost see it on his face on the balcony, uh, was Justin Langer. Leave us alone now, he's saying. Um, everything's good in the dressing room. I'm in charge. We've just won another yeah, world title. Right. Let's get on Let's get on with the ashes, eh? Leave me alone. Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, it's, it's living proof, and it, I've said it many, many times over the years, but across all sport, winning, winning solves everything. Winning cures everything. Winning could beat COVID. Um, yeah, you know, Australia top of the world. Yet, you know, Hassan Ali takes that catch, catches Matthew Wade in the semi-final. Wade doesn't go six six six. Australia might be knocked out, and it's Pakistan playing the final. Look, I tell you what, that, like, if you want a contrast between winning and losing, look at the Australian team. Look at the Indian side, and the Indian side. You know, Ravi Shastri went straight for their their tired and emotional. They need a break. You know, like they're tired. They're, they're too tired. They're, they're drained. They're the World Cup. Well, you know. Every other nation, I guess, had reasonably tired. It's been quite a tumultuous 12, 18 months of bubble and travel and all the rest. Um, and Australia, you know, you looked at their side, the form of the individuals was pretty questionable. But they've come good mm. um, and others have faltered. It's, there really have been a distinct list of, a list of winners and losers at this tournament. They have. They really have. Winners and losers too in the NRL trade window, the negotiation window. Uh, Brandon Smith's racking up some air points as he does his tour of duty around the place. I, I look at this and I think uh, maybe the Dolphins now on quite a lucrative offer. No, oh, look, I, look I, I make this observation. I've done it a few times on my breakfast show here. I mean, tour of the facilities, please, be nice. <laughs> if you're going to offer, like... <laughs> If the offer for one, look, this is hypothetically speaking, if the offer, if your best offer was $500,000 better than the, than the worst offer, you think the worst offer would have any chance, even if their facilities were state of the art and the best, the best offer had a gym that had sawdust on the floor? No, of course not. Uh, facilities, please. It's all, it's all window dressing. It, it'll all boil down to dollars and, and where he wants to live, I think, basically. Not so much what the club can offer in terms of facilities. I think that's absolute. Yeah, absolute garbage. Um, so, will the Dolphins pay over the odds? See, for Brandon Smith, I don't know what the what the limit is. I'd be prepared to go a little over for him. I wouldn't be prepared to go for let's throw in someone like Clint Gutherson. We're being told Parramatta is offering seven hundred and fifty. Well, I don't think that'd be good business by the Dolphins if they went higher than that to sign him. I think I think Brandon Smith is worth that little bit extra. Uh, what that figure is, well. He's probably nudging that. He's well. He's definitely nudging that. Obviously, that's why there's, you know, it's supply and demand. There's a lot of people wanting him, and there's only one Brandon Smith. So I think he's going to do very well out of it, uh, Smithy. No matter where he ends up, um, but Queensland might be a likely base. Well, speaking of doing very well out of it, how about a 16-year-old kid by the name of Latu Fainu who has inked a four-year deal with the Sea Eagles, worth they say around a million dollars, 16 years of age as a Playmaker. Well, I've got to say, for every deal like this I've come across, there's, there's been some catastrophic 
um, well, sadly, you, you've got to label them failures, but there's been money invested on young players. And it is, look, it is just business these days, isn't it, with younger players, and they come under watch younger and younger. I mean, you know, they're looking at those, you know, 13 and 14-year-olds now. Um, you know, the, the talent scouts look everywhere. And, and, and bidding wars develop very early in the piece, but it, there's still no certainties. I mean, you're talking to someone who's called a lot of schoolboy football in their career. And to me, the I've seen, like, I'm, I'm literally saying, I've seen thousands of players. <laughs> and, I've, and, and a lot of those players so impressed at schoolboy level who I've never heard of again. You know, they may have got to junior reps and what have you and, and represented Australia at, you know, schoolboy level and those sorts of things, but, you know, they don't go on with it. In fact, the success rate and the conversion rate of star schoolboy player to, you know, star first grader, it's still on the, 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 the negative side of the ledger rather than the positive side in terms of percent. So, you know, it's a gamble of sorts. Good judges say that's what he's worth. Well, that's what he's worth. Is anyone worth that money at that age? Maybe not, but that's business. Okay, so uh, on the subject of money, looks like uh, uh, Newcastle's uh, veteran, uh, standout uh, half Mitchell Pearce, is off to the mm. Catalan Dragons. Now, uh, is, that, is, is the money more lucrative there? Or why is he going to end his career there? Well, Smithy, I'm saying, for someone who's been in the media spotlight and not always favourably, um, if I'm the Catalan bloke who's trying to uh, approach him and say, Mitchell, I want you to just close your eyes for a moment and I want you to picture what you do on a day off while you're playing for the Newcastle Knights. Where do you go? And Mitchell's thinking to himself, oh, I go down, I catch a wave down at Merryweather Beach. And then the Catalan bloke says, well, on your day off here, take your pick. I'll arrange transport to take you to Barcelona. You can go across to uh, Monaco or I might even take you around to uh, the north of Italy. Uh, what would you do? <laughs> I'll just say, mm. great part of the world, uh, out of the spotlight, um, still playing footy, and I think he will offer plenty on the football field. I think he, I think he's a professional in that. He'll he'll prepare. I think he'll be a star for them. But the living arrangement, I think it's a great little, it's a great little way to finish a career. Three years in the south of France. How good. He may never come back. He might not ever. He, he, he <laughs> may stay over there. Yeah. Back. Yeah. I, I get the I get the picture. Um, here's a, um, one on this anti-vax thing, which is not going to go away. It uh, clearly isn't. Uh, John Asiata, strongly anti-vax, it seems. He's going to yep. walk away from the Bulldogs, who are about to, um, to prepare to mandate vaccination for their, their franchise, their club. Well, yeah, it, it was an odd grab that came with the story um, that was written up here in Sydney. It said that John Asiata said, well, look, I'd, you know, I'd rather be a construction worker than get the vaccine. Well... You know, someone does need to explain to John, well, to be a construction worker, you have to have the vaccine. Um, you know, to drive a truck onto that work site, you've got to have the vaccine. So, you know, it's not the NRL making the rules. It's not Canterbury making the rules. That's just the way it is at the moment. So I respect everyone's right to make their decision, read the vaccination, but it comes, it does come with consequences. And, and John Asiata will have played his last game of rugby league. Um, and that will be that. And that'll be the same with Nelson Asifat Solomona. We've just had an AFL player... Uh, yesterday, Liam Martin has um, has uh, announced his retirement because he wasn't going to get double vaccinated. Still had a year to go on his contract, so he's he's quit. He said, "I'll miss my teammates, I'll miss the game, but please respect my decision and respect my privacy." So you know that, that's where we're at with the rugby league players, and it's already happened in the AFL. Mm, that's where with uh, where, where we're with that with doctors and nurses over here, mate. Don't worry about that. 
it's been a thing if you want to work in a supermarket here. You know, you want to work in a restaurant. If you want to work in a pub, if you want to eat at the pub, you know, you've got to have the vaccination. And it seems like um, in other parts of the world too. I mean, if you if you you know following Europe at the moment, they're going more that way. I mean, Austria was the latest overnight. Basically, there's a set of rules for the vaccinated, and a set of rules for the unvaccinated. And um, and and you know, they're, they're countries that sort of came out of their strictest lockdowns, maybe or well, certainly a lot earlier than places like Australia and New Zealand. And now we're going back mm. on that and, and, and taking that really hard-line approach. So, um, look, it, John Asiata, I, I've heard that he had some concerns because fa- family member or someone had had a, an adverse reaction, but I, I'd need to know more about that, exactly what that adverse reaction is. And, you know, it, it, by the percentage terms, it is very, very few compared... Yeah, and, and this is fact. I'm not making it up. There's very few, when you look at the percentage terms and effect and hospitalisation from the vaccine compared to the hospitalisation from the COVID. So, anyway, that's his decision. Okay, we respect it, but he has to respect that the game has a stance, and so do the Bulldogs. Well, we respect your opinion, Vossi, and it's always good to catch up with you on uh, Monday morning. And to be honest, I appreciate the fact you really didn't rub it in, you didn't give it to us, and. Um, oh, no, no, yeah, no, 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 I thought I'm on for another 10 more minutes. Now we're going to break into some no. songs. Do you know the words to Down Under by Minute Work? Well, I thought we could have a little sing-along this morning. You know, if you get you, your yeah, to heaven, okay. let's, let's sing Down Under. Are we, are we all in, <laughs> listeners? I'll tell you what's going to be a slice of, I'll tell you what's a slice of heaven when uh, Brian, our panellist, switches you off. Goodbye, Andrew. Thanks very much for your company this morning. That is a slice hey, of heaven. It's not too bad in both those World Cups. It's all right, Smithy. Well done. <laughs> yeah, mosey on. Mosey on. Off you go there, boy. Right Thank up. you very much for your company. Thank you. Okay. Uh, we've got to eat some more humble pie very shortly uh, with Jared Waitley from uh, the Melbourne Department of uh, SEN. Uh, just an opportunity to read out a text or two. Um, uh, Smithy Mawanga isn't at his best, but the real issue is that Piranara are too slow and his passing quality is terrible, plus the game tactics. Um, John says All Blacks now an average team just like the coaching group we will not get out of the quarterfinals at the World Cup uh, J- James says uh, on a cricketing note you think uh, Lockie would have made a difference in that final he was in great form going in he may well have uh, he may well have we needed to get wickets and, and that's exactly uh, where we needed to go so um, we have to uh, take a short break here when we come back more humble pie to be digested from Jared Waitley felt he would have a moment like this at some stage in his career. I reckon he's already had it in two Ashes tests, but but that was something else in the early hours of this morning. So you've seen power hitting in all forms, Smithy. It seemed to me he was swinging as hard as anybody I've ever seen with the way he was at it last night. Well, it started from the first ball. Uh, he made a heck of a statement, and he just said to New Zealand, this is my time, this is my day, uh, this is my win and along with uh, uh, David Warner that kind of mood can feel a bit infectious so uh, David Warner obviously uh, outstanding in a couple of innings there too uh, Jared but and the, uh, the other thing I, I think is probably good from Australia's point of view is on the eve of the ashes it looks like Justin Langer if he ever was losing the dressing room might have it back. It, yeah it certainly puts an end to that because I think there was a risk there was a very real risk that that could have overwhelmed the team uh, in an ashes summer uh, for the main event, if they'd been terrible and been bundled out, I think they would have arrived home to a a ferocious um, environment, which has the risk of 
um, of undermining what they were trying to do. What did you think at halfway? What did you think of 172? I was very conscious of the depth of the Australian batting on what I'd seen against um, uh, against Pakistan uh, a few days ago. So I knew you'd go, and, and with Wade and, and Stoinis in form, I knew you'd have to go, you'd be able to go deep, but we had to get wickets at the top. But I thought 170-odd was good. I mean, that was the highest total ever chased down in a T20 World Cup final uh, because of various reasons. It was just uh, the fact of the matter. And, and, and Finch, uh, well, I always thought that he was vulnerable. He just can't uh, seem to buy a run every now and then um, on, the big ca- uh, on the big stage. But uh, I knew we had to get Warner. I knew we had to get Warner in the opening blast from Bolt. And I knew that uh, if Marsh got set, we were in big trouble. And that proved to be the case. I've seen him do it to sides before Mitch Marsh. He did it to us one day at the Manukau uh, Rover in, in Canberra when he, he really did. He just belted uh, Matt Henry all around that ground. And it was quite embarrassing, really. So uh, I, I've seen it. Um, and he, he's, he's a fine player, no doubt about that, he's a hell of a player, so um, no issue for me there um, in that respect, mate, no issue at all, uh, Australia going okay in the rugby without quite getting up <laughs> against England, that was another one. Yes, yes, hey, just, I know there's, um, there's disappointment, but the, the innings of Kane Williamson, so what was he, yep. one off seven, and then, gosh, didn't he lead, there, there was there was some, uh, almost some un- Kane Williamson stuff in there. He played the unorthodox in the T20 as that innings went on. He was terrific. Yeah, he, he was. I mean, we've come to expect that. There's a thing, steady steady the ship, Kane. You can rely on Kane, Kane for Prime Minister, all those sorts of <laughs> things. And it's, it's, it's well and truly warranted. He's right up there with the most popular Kiwis uh, you can uh, put a name to at the moment and has been for quite some time. Uh, but Australia, did they lose to England at rugby? Did Yes, yes, yeah. The Wallabies, um, we don't invest too much of our emotional worth in the Wallabies just for the time being. (laughs) It must be the most lopsided. Other than, what was it, Serena Williams and Maria Sharapova as a rivalry, (laughs) it must be the most lopsided (laughs) of all. There's this Bledisloe Cup, which uh, it's an ancient relic. I I presume we'll have to get it from the museum where they keep the Raiders of the Lost Ark at at some stage. Um, I... Just what about the dynamic around cricket, uh, Smithy? You, you've lived it, that, that, and I know you referred to it as the big brother, little brother thing. Do you think mm. – so in Australia, once <laughs> nobody believed in the team, and then they beat Pakistan, and then everyone believed that they would beat New Zealand, despite what New Zealand has been doing in pinnacle moments. Is there, is there something entrenched that plays a role? Yes. Yes, there is actually. Uh, I can I can confirm that. We way back in the day where, you know, it took a while for Australia to really recognise New Zealand as a, as a cricketing a worthy cricketing opponent. Uh, we would send sides over there to play in your Gillette Cup, so we'd play against uh, the state sides. And when Australia did send a touring side here, it'd be like Sam Trimble's eleven or something of that nature, which was very much a B team as such. And it took ages for us to to get the credibility. I think when we beat you in 1973 in Christchurch. When you had a very very strong side with the, the chapels etc., um, I think we started to get to a little bit of uh, I won't say respect, but a little bit of credence. Uh, but we've we've carried this for a long time, Jared. We we have, and, and we need whenever we play against Australia, we need to start well. Otherwise, that uh, is pretty much firmly entrenched in our minds that it's just not going to happen again today. So there is that, and I'm sure there were thoughts uh, when Mitch Marsh got going along with. Uh, with, uh, with particularly with David Warner, 
uh, having got that respectable total, I'm sure that there were several thoughts on our within our group along those lines because they've seen it before, they've done it before, mm. they've felt it before. And uh, I mean, just go back to the the three test series. Uh, you know, when we came over here over there with such a side, we thought was going to absolutely make a bit of history, and we weren't even in the race then. Uh, and yep. it's more of the same. What of so at that venue in this tournament, ten the ten chasing teams at night all won. Was there, given the circumstance, was there too much hinged on the toss? Do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess there was. If you look at those, I mean, they they don't lie. Those numbers don't lie. But I I wouldn't have thought that. You know, going into a tournament of that nature, because usually dry wickets tend to die in terms of their speed and their pace, and it's generally generally harder generally harder to chase. Usually sides in days gone by liked batting first on those because the ball was going to be skidding across a relatively uh, good surface. But on the, on the basis that you knew it was going to be harder to hit later on, you always like to get the runs on the board. This was the exact reverse. I mean, how often do Australian sides, to, to be honest, put teams in? In Australia, never. Might think about it uh, once out of 20 times, but they'll still bat first themselves. And so that was quite foreign in terms of tactics. Yeah, yeah. So uh, until next year is so. What we've got a T Twenty series in New Zealand, and yep. then um, October, November, the titles back up for grabs in these parts. Yeah, uh, we look forward to it greatly, Jared. As we do speaking to you um, every time we get a chance to do so. So have a great Monday. Yours will be greater than ours. You can rest yes. sure with that. Um, and we shall persevere and try and get you next time. Thank you very good, much, uh, good Jared. Congratulations. Well done, mate. Thank you. We're over the ditch yeah. there. SENZ. Jared Waitley there, uh, SEN uh, in Victoria, uh, celebrating this morning, obviously. It's uh, 11.29, coming up to 11.30 here. Uh, some things don't change, though, and that is uh, the stump smithy situation. We've got 50 bucks worth of TAB vouchers for you to start the week with. 0800 150 811 is the phone number you need to call now. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Well, if ever you needed 50 bucks from the TAB and some sleep drops at Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements, it would be now. After having to get up so early, so often, and then for a disappointing end like that with the black caps and the all blacks, I'm out of sleep. And I know Smithy is. And Sam from Nelson, how are you, mate? Are you sleeping all right? Yeah, mate, I'm a bit dusty, got up about half past two, and yeah, unfortunately, um, didn't go our way, but um, proud of the boys and that, but uh, yeah. Yeah, mate, absolutely, yeah, had to be good. done, they did alright, didn't they, so yeah, no shame in coming second, it's just to the Aussies though, man. Anyway, uh, this game, you know how it works, three sporting categories, you choose one, get three right, you win, but get one wrong. And Smithy can stump you. So your categories today are basketball, cricket and rugby union. Okay. Which one do you like? Basketball. Okay. basketball. All right, let's go. Why'd you go basketball, by the way? Uh, I've never played it before, and I just thought Smithy wouldn't know as much about basketball as he does about rugby union. Yeah, okay, okay. Let's go, let's see. All right, the NBA season's underway. Stephen Adams has now played for three teams. Name the teams that Stephen Adams has played for. Grizzlies. OKC and Golden State. One of the worst things I have ever seen 
done on a cricket field. Not correct, Smithy. You're up at the free throw line. Opportunity. Well, you see, Sam, here's the thing. You, of course, will be celebrating the fact that Tasman beat Hawks Bay in the weekend. Will you not? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's only so many times a Hawks Bay guy can be kicked in the guts, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Get my drift here? I do, yeah, I do. <laughs> so for that reason, take this. Take this. The third team is the New Orleans Pelicans. Take this. A of chips down the right in the slot, and away it goes. Oh, unlucky, Sam, unlucky. I think he enjoyed whipping off the bales then. He did, he did. <laughs> All right, cheers, guys. Until next time, mate, yes. unlucky. <laughs> Falling at the first hurdle, which gives someone else an opportunity, and that man is John from Christchurch. G'day, John. Yeah, g'day, fellas. How you doing? Very good, thank you. Um, how is your basketball knowledge? Uh, very, very average. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see how we go with these next questions. Question number two. It's early days in the season, but who is the leading scorer so far in the NBA in terms of points per game? No, I have no idea. Yeah, sorry about that, mate. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Any idea, Smithy? Well, as a few guys came uh, up for grabs, of course, uh, LeBron is out at the moment injured, so it won't be him. Um, the Greek freak from the Bucks, I could uh, perhaps mention him. Um, I, I'm going to go a little bit wayward here. He's not very popular, but he hogs the ball, and he might just be scoring a lot of points, I don't know. But Russell Westbrook? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. The Greek freak was third, Steph Curry is second, and Kevin Durant with the Brooklyn Nets has got 29.4 oh, okay. points per game. So a difficult question there. And the final one, to get the 50 bucks and the sleep drops, John, which teams are leading the Eastern and Western Conferences? Any idea, John? Lakers and Pelicans. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. <laughs> Sorry, mate, it's not correct, Smithy. I think you're lucky here, though, because uh, to be honest, it's so early in the season. I'm not even taking too much notice of the table, so I I'm going to go. I'm going to go Brooklyn. These guys, these guys are probably in the same conference, actually. I'm going to go Brooklyn, uh, and I'm also going to go for the Utah Jazz. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Close with Brooklyn Smithy, they're second in the Eastern Conference and the Golden State Warriors are 11-1 and one in the West, which means, John, you do win 50 bucks from the TAB, so not all bad. Fantastic, fellas. That's brilliant. Good. That's good. Same knowledge, Smithy. That's good on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both very average, but you deserve it, John, so stay on the line. You, de you deserve it. Um, out of my poor knowledge. So 11.37. Stay on the line, please. Uh, uh, Brian will get your details. Uh, folks, uh, we, we had a text in from uh, James as well. Uh, Smithy, have you given out any clues for Baz and Izzy's 10-question frequency quiz yet? Well, we haven't this morning. I'm about to now. I know you're a truckie, so I'm in and out of the truck. I tend to miss things. I hope you're in the truck listening now. I'm going to give it to you right here and now. Uh, they're putting together a spotlight on SENZ's Auckland frequency, uh, Baz and Izzy. It's 14, 14.76 a.m. If you get a chance uh, to win four, $1,476 because of that magical amount. So here we go. To make it even easier for you, here's an answer to one of the 10 questions. Uh, the question will be, who captained 
who captained the Northern Mystics to their first ever ANZ Netball Premiership? And the answer is Sulu, Sulu Fitzpatrick. Sulu Fitzpatrick there. So uh, there'll be more answers right across the day. Staffy will have a couple, and the drive people will sure have some as well. Uh, and then you can listen to Baz and Izzy at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning for your chance to win. So there it is, who captained the Northern Mystics, and that is Sulu Fitzpatrick. We'll be back shortly. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Okay, let's look at some, uh, some of the texts that have come in. Some are very brief and to the point. For instance, Costa says, good morning, Smithy. TJ Pass is not great, as we all know, but we can't criticise his defence or his work rate. Saying that, I want Smith back at nine this weekend. Thank you, Costa. Here's an even briefer one. Sevu Reese has to go. Uh, was it Sevu Reese's problem? Uh, it wasn't his best work, was it? I don't mind his work rate, but it's got to be constructive work rate. Um, and, you know, as Nisbo pointed out just after 10 o'clock this morning, if you're not doing it up front, it's going to relate to what happens behind those up front. And it really was a case of that. So Sevu Reese, instead of being uh, constructive on attack, as he always is, found himself on defence a lot. Uh, and uh, that perhaps is not his greatest trademark. But uh, do you judge him on that? Do you get rid of them on that? We'll wait and see when they pick the team for France coming up very shortly. They'll have their plans already, I'm sure. Uh, morning, Smithy. The Irish probably made the game closer than it should have been by not taking points on offer. It's funny no one has mentioned that the Irish played like the All Blacks from a few years ago. Fastball, short passes by backs and forwards, and attacking in clusters. Our ruck work with the ball in hand is very slow and sloppy, not to mention our hands weren't great. I think it might be time for a little more fresh Blood in the starting side with the older campaigners and at the end to close out games. Poor old Black Caps, we really didn't have a plan B when we were bowling. Super proud of them though, thanks very much PD. Corey's coming and said, Smithy, two things on the All Black game. Firstly, I remember when the All Blacks went on tour to the Northern Hemisphere about three years ago and we could not deal with the rush defence. Three years later it appears we still not have uh, uh, adapted to it or found a successful way around it. Secondly, it looks to me like we are not committing our forwards to securing that second or third phase ball on attack. Not sure if they are setting up their pods for the next phase, but it seems to me that where the opposition are attacking us, we are turning over the ball. There was a play near the end of the game where uh, Whitelock missed a clean out as the Ireland player was uh, over the ball. The biggest question should be, why are we only getting one player to those breakdowns? Uh, Great show. Regards, Corey. Uh, Smithy, another great result for your golf pick. Yep, we got up uh, with, uh, who was it, Scotty Scheffler. Uh, you just got to look at the form, actually, coming out of tournaments week by week to see if players are getting close. And I think the, the top 10 is a, a reasonable option in that regard. Um, Craig from Tauranga says, saw France uh, thrash South Africa last week. Uh, looked very impressive and fit. They were paying 250 to beat the Black Ferns. There was value for money that uh, I, for one, missed. Uh, another thing the All Blacks haven't, says Brian, haven't got uh, the hang of yet, is the bench. The South Africa and Ireland have experience and maybe some of their best players on the bench to finish off the game. Our bench seems to be the next best players. Yeah, Brian, that's a very good point. Actually, we did have a strong bench. We had great impact players, didn't we, at one point, and that includes the guys in the forwards as well. Bryce from Christchurch has called in. Bryce, uh, thanks very much for making contact. What's on your mind? Um, Smithy, I just wanted to talk about the cricket. Um, mm. um, like a lot of Kiwis, uh, it was an early start. Um, I just thought that um, definitely at the halfway stage, that total was a good total. I, I really thought 
incredible. Um, however, definitely our bowlers, apart from Bolt, who was magnificent, the rest of them struggled. And I think one of the things that Australia did and did well, and I hate to say that, is that they attacked us at the beginning of most of those overs. They hit a boundary or a six a number of times. And so they had the onus on them. We were on the back foot just about every over. And I just wondered how you felt that, whether that was a something that they targeted us for because it seemed to happen a lot. That's a hell of an observation, Bryce, and I thank you very much for that. Uh, and you're dead right. Absolutely. There was a pattern of that throughout. And it, it is a pattern in T20 cricket, actually, to put pressure on the bowler from the outset. Hence, uh, when Mitchell Marsh is on strike, Milne comes in, he doesn't want to work it away off his hip for one uh, to try and get off strike and have a look at the other end. He wants to put it back on Milne, who of the, th- of the three of our quicker bowlers is the least experienced. So what does he do? He hits him over yep. backwards, square yep. leg into the stand. And, and, I, you know, and that yep. was one classic example of what you're talking about. Uh, and and uh, an excellent point, mate. Absolutely. Do damage early. Put people under pressure. Take pressure off yourself. Quite a simple plan, isn't it? Well, it is. And I, I thought that um, what to happen in some overs is, yeah, four or six first ball, then they, if you can cruise during the middle of an over, picked up ones and twos. In last ball, perhaps no fear. And suddenly it's a massive over. Um, yeah. And we didn't seem to have an answer. Unfortunately, no. Um, you're right because that could have been a winning total. Yeah, uh, uh, well, it was a winning total in previous World Cups. It was a winning total, and in the context of this tournament, uh, with two sides uh, pretty even sides, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it was more than a, a competitive total. Had we bowled better, mm. uh, had we more strike power with our spinners, I, I think you're onto it. Uh, Bryce, thanks very much for your call, mate. Really uh, do appreciate it. Uh, so, well, we've got other texts here as well. Um, morning, Smithy. Enjoying the show. The All Blacks are in the same position they were in 2009. A World Cup two years out and a lot of ageing players. Sam Whitelock, Joe Moody will both be 35. They look stale and hold no fear for any side in the top echelon now. If Foster and team want to win the 2023 World Cup, they need to reinvent themselves. Hopefully says Charlie, Scott Robertson hangs around. So, yep, Razor comes up. Uh, Bruce from Christchurch. Good morning to you, Bruce. Uh, <coughs> cricket or rugby on your mind? I don't want to talk about the rugby, Smithy. I turned it off no. after 15 minutes. I'm disgusted. I'm sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> cricket, just two little points. Um, mm. I believe Australia, after they won that semi-final, just grew so much more confident and I think they were incredibly dangerous and I think they'd have beaten any side in that final. I think they just uh, believed even more than us to be honest and they're always a threat. Uh, Secondly, I'm not sure T20 is our game at the moment. If you look at the stats, the strike rate, our top two batsmen are Kane and Jimmy Neesham. And they only average 43%, I think, strike rate in the whole tournament, which is in about 19th or 20th place. So there's mm. a heck of a lot more more aggressive batsmen there than what we had. So you look at yeah, that I, stat, that's yeah. very telling. 
I agree with you on both counts. Uh, and I really um, acknowledge the fact about Australia too. I think on that performance, they'd have beaten anyone in this tournament. I look at their lineup, and uh, you know, man for man, how many of our players would make that side as it's firing? Certainly not our spinners would go past Zampa. Um, you know, maybe uh, Trent Bolt or Tim Southey, and for Mitchell Stark, who seems a little bit um, uh, worse for wear at the moment, and Williamson probably for Finch in the batting lineup. Apart from that, uh, you're dead right. Man for man, um, not really uh, up with them at all. Um, Adam also from Christchurch. Uh, morning to you, Adam. How are you going, Cindy? Yeah, good. Yourself? Not too bad. I just, um, as an Australian living in Christchurch, I think it, the Black Caps have been really good, and I don't think they get the kudos that they deserve in this country. But obviously, you're, you played with uh, Richard Hadley. How far behind is Trent Bolt to Richard Hadley as New Zealand's best bowler ever? Oh, look, uh, I'm biased. I, I still think um, a day in, day out, Richard Hadley is a better bowler, but the records don't say that. They say that Bolt's very close. Um, and uh, You know, Bolt's a fantastic bowler. He's a superb bowler. And a left armour, I always think, a great left armour, has a slight advantage over a great right armour uh, because of his ability to swing the ball and move it back in and across right-handers. So I, I really do think that, you know, I'd love to see Bolt and Southie in tandem. My God, I would. Uh, on any playing surface anywhere around the world, if there's anything at all in the atmosphere of the pitch, imagine a Trent Bolt-Richard Hadley combination. Um, Adam, thanks very much for your call. I'm going to stay with Paddles at this point, but at the end of his career, who knows? I might be saying Trent Bolt. We will miss him, and I don't quite understand why he's not playing in the tests in India. Uh, we'll take a short break. Thanks so much for your communications this morning. Uh, a weekend to reflect on some not such good performances, but I've enjoyed it. It's been fantastic. Uh, the two-way side of things has been brilliant, especially those late calls. Uh, 11.52 here on SENZ. Staffy, very shortly.